Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 5, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, I am joined by the always lovable, always in a good mood and talking good things about good people. He is Kyle Posey at KP underscore show on Twitter. Kyle, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. Week 4 was fun. Love football. Have always loved football and have nothing ever negative to say about this sport i gotta i gotta send you a tweet because there was a tweet from a guy and i I won't i won't call him out like this but he was like well my ex-wife finally just moved out and blah 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 and at the end of it he goes i'm just really looking forward to football and my brother football doesn't love you back football season is uh it's a grind man and it's it's tough and we'll we'll get into why you're so depressed i think people can figure it out you cover the niners i cover the eagles kyle does not want to be here but <laughs> let, let's talk about some some worse situations for another team uh this was covered on the oddcast with brandon lee gouton and rob, uh, rob stats guerrera aka the atlanta falcons of the sb nation nfl show feed but bam free at last free at last thank god almighty deshaun is free of bob at last Bill O'Brien sacked from the Titans gig after flying too close to the sun with his general manager responsibilities that gutted the team of talent. Uh, Kyle, if you're looking for potential replacements, we'll attack it this way since I don't think they did on the podcast. I I think where you start, obviously, is... Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. His name was tossed around a bunch last offseason. Nothing, nothing stuck there. Uh, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable. With what he's doing with Josh Allen, you're going to you know be able to to kind of pick a job there. Uh, do you agree with that? Maybe some other names out there that you like because there's already rumored that Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator from the Patriots, is, is linked there. Uh, who, who do you like in that situation for uh, our boy Deshaun Watson? Because I think. I think everyone is invested in saving him. How would you save him and who with? So first off, I want to say that Deshaun is our large adult son. And yes. we are all so, so happy for him that he's freed. <laughs> and whoever the next coach is, is going to be a gazillion times better than what he has had to do. Because if you just watch what the Texans stylistically do on offense... They give Watson no shot to be successful. Like he has to do everything on his own. And the Vikings game is a great example of that, where he's rolling out to the short side of the field where receivers are rolling to the wide side of the field. Like that is just one play, but it happens so often and it is so maddening to watch. But as far as the names and also speaking of these names, I don't know if just because there are a significant significantly better play caller like they're a good play caller that that makes them head coaching material so that Mm -hmm. is something that we always need to distinguish but Greg Roman is a name that I've seen thrown around and I don't really think that he would be a great fit for what Deshaun does because just based on what he's doing with Lamar I think Mm -hmm. the enemy is just a genius 
and yeah. he makes life so much easier on Mahomes. It helps that Mahomes is, you know, the one of the best quarterbacks of all time already. But yeah. I think he's just a really good offensive mind. And Lincoln Riley is going to be popular just because Oklahoma, Texas, and, you know, Houston. But I, I, he's in such a cushy situation in Oklahoma. That would be hard for him to leave. Um, Dayball is just, man, he is really good with Buffalo. And that might be one of the best names that I've seen. Arthur Smith is a Titans OC. And as a play mm. caller, he like he, was, he puts Ryan Tannehill in really good situations as well. Yeah. I'm just looking at guys that make life easier on their quarterback because Deshaun is going to make your life easier as well. So if you can just kind of simplify the offense and put him in situations where he's not having to have these second and 11s, third and nines every time that he's just going to be in a better situation in general. Who, who do you like? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Dable and I, I've I've professed my love for him on this show. You know, being a head coach is a different beast, obviously. But as far as putting your quarterback in easier situations, I think Dable was doing that last year with Allen. They just didn't have the offensive results from it because they Allen wasn't the quarterback he is this year. He's playing fantastic uh, this year. I think everyone recognizes that. It wasn't the same last year. Uh, Biennemi, who... You know, a lot of people, when I mentioned his name last offseason, they were like, well, he doesn't call plays and whatnot. It's like, so, you know, Peterson didn't call players. Now he didn't call plays. BNME also called plays in certain situations and is calling them even more this season in in, in situations. So I think he's more than than prepared to be a very good offensive head coach. I, I like him. One, one name that we were kind of kicking around before the show, I wanted to ask you about Kellen Moore, because Kellen Moore is a guy that I felt was a, a key keep. Like Dallas had to keep this guy when Mike McCormick. McCarthy came in because I felt that he had one of the better offensive uh, schemes, overall uh, uh, designs, mo using motion, giving his quarterback pre-snap information. Obviously, having a quarterback like Dak helps, but what would you think of Moore? Is he too young? Is he not proven it that can, he can do it without the weapons? Like, What's your feel on him? Yeah, I would just say it's a little too early because you want to make sure that he's the right guy that's going to be prepared for every situation. As a head coach, you're not just calling the offensive plays. So that you're, there's just so much more on your plate as a head coach, and we haven't really seen more do it at the professional level, at a high level from that standpoint. But, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to say just because you can go in so many different ways here. And you would think that whoever you give Deshaun Watson will be able to put him in a good situation. So it would be so hard for the Texans to screw this up, which means that they're going to screw it up. Do you think they would even think about going to a defensive coach, maybe like the 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Saleh? Am I saying that correctly? It's it's Salah, and nobody Salah. knows, nobody knows how to pronounce that, okay. so don't, don't worry about that. So he, he is actually a very well-prepared coach, and the Texans are probably going to have their quarterback coach who supposedly will do well, and I imagine Robert Saleh will also bring in an offensive mind probably the 49ers run game coordinator, run game pass coordinator. Mm. So that would be something to keep an eye on as well. Um, but he, he is very prepared. Plucking from the Shanahan tree. Yeah. I, I like, like that. If, yeah. if you want to bring somebody in, bring somebody that who is an offensive mastermind. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I would say that would probably even be make more sense than bringing in just because he's an offensive mind doesn't mean he's going to thrive. So you right. want to just make sure that Deshaun Watson is surrounded by a bunch of different minds. Have you seen Have you seen the guy? I asked you before. I don't know if you've Googled it yet, but this guy, and this is for the listeners too, of course, but Jack Easterby, 
he is going to be pulling all the strings for the Texans in this decision here. He is the executive VP of football operations. He looks like Howie Roseman if Howie Roseman was a Sphinx cat, you know, those furless, those furless cats. He looks like he looks like trouble, man. He looks like 2020 Littlefinger. The, the, the guy is going to live forever. I'm watching. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. And that's why my <laughs> face is the way that he is. I have a lot on my mind right now. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll move on past that now that I've just blown uh, Kyle's mind. And if you're at home Googling this, a lot of, a lot of thoughts going through the head there. Let, let's get back into the regular th- uh, flow of the palpably unfair podcast. We'll do the top three quarterback performances of week four. Kyle's just cracking up over there. That's the same reaction I had, dude. Man. Does, doesn't he look like he's troubled? Doesn't he look like the boss where you're just like, this guy's going to knife me in the back somehow? He looks like a mix between Adam Silver and Dr. Evil. Top three quarterback performances of the week. That's fantastic. Uh, as we do every week. We go, we're going with the uh, the week four slate here. I'll start with my number one top performance of the week. It's all over Twitter today. He had a great quote, Aaron Rodgers, saying that even in my down years, it's like a, a career year for other quarterbacks. It's been a bad day for nerds like Ben Baldwin when Rodgers pops up on this list yet again and then goes viral on, on top of it. Uh, he is playing uh, terrific ball. And, and some quick qualifiers here, obviously. I know it was against the Falcons. Hashtag fire Dan Quinn. And I know they were banged up too. And even the broadcast got in on the fun. At one point, they were basically saying the problem with the Falcons' pass defense is they can't cover and they can't rush the quarterback, <laughs> which is a bad formula, <laughs> if I'm being honest here. But at the end of the day, uh, Rodgers was flawless. And he's stacking these big-time games on top of each other as the Packers rolled a 4-0 uh, on the night, 27 of 33, 327 yards, 9.9 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Kyle, you like using this stat. 17 first downs on those 27 completions. Super efficient, keeping the chains moving. Next Gen had him at 13.9% completion percentage over expectation, meaning by their tracking, he should have completed 68.1% of his passes, and he ended up completing 81.8% of them. So not only was he accurate when the coverage was bad, but he was super accurate even when it was good, and his guys made plays for him as well. And look, the All-22 wasn't available for this yet. I tried watching it earlier today, but I know this is a film review show, but here's the thing about that. I don't care. I watched it live. I know what I saw. Uh, shout out to Bob Tunyon the tight end for three touchdown receptions in this one. He's only the third Green Bay tight end in history to ever do that. And Kyle, we we talked about Rodgers before, so I I guess my question to you is, you look around the NFC, how do the Packers stack up? Because I I, I haven't been impressed by their defense after giving up two 30-point games in, in four weeks, but they've also scored on offense 43, 42, 37 and 30 in a game that they controlled all the way and could have easily put up a 50-burger if Atlanta's offense was bumping. Is it Seattle or Green Bay, or are you seeing things come together with Tampa Bay to a point where you think they emerge at the top? What what are you kind of looking at at the top of the NFC here as the cream of the crop? Yeah, I think you have to start with Green Bay, right? Just with how Rodgers is playing and with who he's doing this with. So this is without Devontae Adams. This is without Alan Lazard. Who is Robert Tunyon? Who, seriously, who is that person? <laughs> And yeah. he made him look like George Kittle, like for lack of better mm-hmm. term, like he made him look like a competent to very good tight end. Rodgers in complete control. So when you have a quarterback that looks unstoppable and he's not turning the ball over. So Russell Wilson did have a turnover in the end zone. And mm-hmm. yes, that's just one play. But Rodgers just looks in complete control. 
I think you have to start with Green Bay just because they're not playing the same way they played last year. And yeah. they, they had the pass rush last year. And we saw Preston Smith a little bit yesterday. Yeah. I just think that they're better than what they showed last year. And I know Packers fans are a little bit hesitant to give the Packers their credit, their due earlier in the season because they tend to get off to hot, hot starts. They didn't play well in the regular season and kind of wet the bed when it comes to critical times. But that's <laughs> I just don't see that happening right now. But I think Tampa Bay plays really well. I do. Th- I still do think their defense plays well. I think Herbert made a lot of good throws, and you're going to get to that yeah. later. Tom Brady, man, you're going to get to him later as well. So Tampa Bay, they look good. They're very well coached. I, I'm a little hesitant still on the NFC West teams because I think I, I'm just not so sure that they're as good as they seem right now. Obviously, Russ is Russ, and yeah. they're going to be able to score a lot of points, but their defense is just – they're not very good. So it's hard yeah. for me to give them credit because they're not playing on both sides of the ball. So right now – I think it comes down to Green Bay and Tampa Bay. And you said later, let's talk about it now because my number two and number three quarterback performances of the week, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, the GOAT against the rookie. A magnificent game with two excellent performances. I mean, Herbert showed a lot in this one. Tampa Bay brought the kitchen sink at him in terms of blitzes, and he showed tremendous poise. Uh, Comes up short, but that's because Tom threw for five doggone touchdowns. Uh, Herbert continues his Legends of Quarterbacking tour as the Chargers travel to New Orleans to face the breeze-led Saints in a Monday night showdown coming up next. Tom's Bucks have the Chicago Bears coming up on Thursday night football. Uh, It's a rematch of Nick Foles' And Tom Brady, Kyle, are you a are you a Nick Foles truther, or where you where you stand on that? How do you expect that game to go? Well, <laughs> uh, Nick Foles looks like a shell of the shell of Nick Foles right now. He just oh man, he just doesn't look like he's interested in throwing the ball down the field much at all. And when you when when that happens, you're just not giving yourself much of a chance at all. So no, I am not a Nick Foles truther, <laughs> which is crazy because that's like Foles' like best quality, and we saw that in the first game that he came back. You know those those fifty fifty balls. If he gets one on one on the outside, he's going to toss it up. He's got Allen Robinson, so I mean Indianapolis is really good at limiting teams down the field. So maybe we'll see if that continues. I also think Indianapolis might have a a, a top two, top three defense in the league right now. So. Hard to play against that, but Tampa Bay, like you said, maybe an off game against Herbert, but they are very, very good, and they've got some quality players on, on all levels of that defense. While we're on the on the Bucks, uh, if you're looking for a good time, go watch the Tampa Bay offensive line. We mentioned Tristan Wirfs on here after week two, but his dominance has absolutely continued. Uh, the center, Ryan Jensen, is one of the best in the league at his position. Left guard, Ali Marpet, is a ball buster of a player on the interior. Tom Brady is the second least pressured quarterback in the league so far. And those three guys have played a huge role in that. Um, Some other quarterbacks that could have fought for number two and number three, or at least had interesting days. Dak Prescott is in the problem with the Cowboys. 502 yards, four touchdowns. He can't play defense and neither can the Cowboys. Uh, Brett Rippon threw three picks, but he also had two touchdowns and at least at the very least, you know, made last week's Thursday night football game more enjoyable than it had any right to be. Uh, Apologies to Baker Mayfield since uh, burying him here on this show, him and Kevin Stefanski after week one. And we're going to talk about one of their offensive linemen later in the run game. But the Browns have really come together and shown that they can put up points on the board. Uh, turns out my initial take on Baker was right. So go me. Um, another week, another mention of Josh Allen. <laughs> that's, how, that's how quick you the pivot happens. You can't do that. <laughs> 
Speaking of pivoting, another fantastic week from Josh Allen, who I've believed in this entire time. Uh, this game was close uh, for a while, but I never really thought it was in doubt for the Bills after John Gruden's cowardly uh, field goal on fourth and two. Allen outlasted and outclassed Carr, uh, but I did leave with some more concerns about the Bills' defense. Positive performance aside, Kyle, you asked me last week, this guy, I'm going to talk to you, gentlemen. I'm not going to talk to Kyle. This guy, Kyle, asked me last week, did you see the Bengals play? I covered the Eagles. The Eagles played the Bengals, and he was, he was asking me about Joe Burrow. So let me turn back to Kyle now. Kyle, did you see Sunday Night Football? I was asleep. I did not see what happened. I did <laughs> okay. not. I was not even sure who played. So you're going to have to fill me in, please. So Nick Mullins, come on down. You are the next contestant on Do You Have a Quarterback? Uh, or maybe Do You Have a Backup Quarterback? Uh, Kyle, buddy, I, I, I spent all week singing <laughs> Mullins' praises on the BGN feed. And uh, look, I still think he's more than a serviceable spot starter. He was pressured on 58.4% of his dropbacks, a league high for week four. He wilted under that pressure. Uh, missed some clean throws early, too, in the game. So he, it's not like it, was, it wasn't it was you know all on the offensive line. He would get benched for C.J. Beathard, who immediately marched down the field for a touchdown drive, thanks to some soft coverage from the Eagles defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, kind of changing it up for the uh, detriment of his defense. Uh, so you cover the 49ers. I'll lean on you for this, Kyle. What happened with Mullins on Sunday night uh, in their L to the Eagles? The one area where the 49ers were going to lose this game was if Mullins was under pressure and he succumbed mm -hmm. to that pressure and if the bright lights were just too big for him. And both of those things happened. So the very two first throws of the game, Mullins has just a giant window to hit Kendrick Bourne on a slant, misses him. On the next play, Shanahan draws a play action pass where the fullback comes clean on a wheel route. Leak. Great design. Great design. The, yes. the linebacker trying to guard check on the play falls down. So he's wide open. And it's him and two defenders who are probably 20 yards down the field guarding Brandon yep. Ayuk. That's it. So at the very worst, this play is going for 50 yards. Mm -hmm. And Mullins airmails it. So from then, like when you miss those throws as a player, your just confidence goes down the drain immediately. Yeah. So when I'm keeping track of these games, which was completely my idea to chart and nobody else is on this podcast, um, <laughs> Mullins, <laughs> Mullins was on target for 14 of his throws, but he was off target for 10 of his throws. Like how that doesn't happen. Like quarterbacks in the NFL do not miss that much, but he was missing yeah. very poorly, very bad. He's making some terrible terrible decisions and even worse he was like cement blocks for feet like he wasn't moving at all and he took some sacks that he just had no business taking Trent Williams yeah. got a bad rap and some of the the plays if you just watch him back they weren't really on Trent Williams because if a quarterback takes one step up one step to the right one step to the left just seriously any baby yeah. step anywhere you don't get sacked but it was it was probably one of the worst games that you'll see from a quarterback, but he was ba he's a backup and he played like a backup. But you, I think you do have to give the Philadelphia Eagles some credit up front because they, I mean they came after him, they were aggressive and they, they did a good job of rattling him. Nick Mullins got sacked one in every four times he got pressured. That's how bad his pocket presence was. I just looked that stat up for you right there, Kyle. That lets you know that a quarterback is not managing the pocket very well at all. And the Eagles can be hurt by running quarterbacks, and Mullins was definitely not a running quarterback. And when, when we previewed him on the QB Factory on BGN, Mark Schofield kind of couched his take in the fact that 
if they're able to get constant pressure on him, then Nick Mullins is gonna is gonna fold like a like a lawn chair. So I mean, that's exactly what happened. I still think Mullins is actually a decent quarterback, but like you're seeing why he's not an ingrained starter. You saw why the 49ers didn't want to take trade offers for him against the Giants. It's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword with Mullins. So that's my dud of the week. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more duds because uh, Kyle is actually mad at the defenses around the world today. So we aren't going to have MVPs. Uh, we're going to talk a little crap about some defenses. We're going to get to into some other individual and, and unit performances as well. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode five, SB Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. Kyle, so I did my spiel about quarterbacks, the whole song and dance. Usually we do your defensive MVPs, but you told me today, like, look, I'm looking for guys and nobody is really standing out. And in fact, I'm pretty mad at these defenses. So who are some defenses that you watch that really just crap the bet on Sunday? Yeah. So every week we talk about the three best players at each level on defense. And I was impressed with DeForest Buckner on the Colts. And I do think Mm. he's quietly in the running for, you know, he'll be in the upper half of the defensive player of the year. But the more games that I saw this week, the more I thought to myself, there's just no way that we could reward that type of play. So the teams that didn't score 20 points this week, Washington's football team, but you have to ask, are they even a football team? Right. And the other team, an offense where Jason Garrett calls the plays, um, their opponent, the Rams, looked like they went out in Hollywood on the night before. Uh, <laughs> they actually fumbled the ball, which gave the Giants the ball on the 34-yard line, and Danny Dimes barely got his team into the red zone. Like It's just <laughs> maddening to watch – Bad teams play bad. So that's all you need to know about the Giants and Rams game. But uh, the other two teams who didn't score in the 20s were the Colts and the Bears. And that was more about ineptness on offense whether or compared to just good play on defense. I do think the Colts' defense is really, really good. You did mention that. Yeah. Justin Houston looks great, honestly. And, and yeah. I mentioned Buckler. They are very fast at the second level. And they do play coverages where they ask their secondary to be aggressive tacklers. And they're doing that. I do wonder, though, what happens to the Colts when they play a very good quarterback or they play a competent quarterback, because I have a feeling they're going to be in for a rude awakening. Something tells me I just don't I'm not completely sold on them yet. And you can only learn so much from a defense where you play a Tim and Nick Foles, uh, Sam Darnold, the worst version of Kirk Cousins and Minshew Magic. And the only other team that failed to score 20 points on the week was a team that started Brian Hoyer in the year of our Lord, 2020. 
NFL defenses, everyone is now much, much worse off for having watched you. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, you could you could you could see why Cam Newton is starting it out in New England. They tried a couple quarterbacks there, and it was just like, brother, I don't know how these guys are on a roster, man. What is going on in Dallas is what I need to ask you because that defense is a JV level defense. If you watch the very very first play of the game, Nick yeah. Nick Chubb just takes off like. When you have your offensive line just completely maul the defensive line, the very first play of the game, that as a play caller has to give you the utmost confidence that you can just do whatever you want the rest of the game. Like you can call a play knowing that it's going to work. And that's what the Browns did against the Cowboys. So something is up with the Cowboys. I'm not sure what it is. They just released Brandon Carr. I don't know where they think they're going to improve on. I mean, I imagine they're going to get Anthony Brown back soon, but. That defense looks lost. Uh, Trayvon Diggs wasn't that good in college, and he's playing not that good in the NFL. Who could have possibly thought that that would happen? Who knew (laughs) Mike McCarthy was not going to be the answer to Dallas Cowboys problems, man? Uh, There wasn't a lot of good football played this past Sunday, so I'm not going to force and give credit to somebody that doesn't get deserve that credit. Yeah, the the Cowboys, man. I, I I'll rarely ever, unless it's just blatantly obvious. I don't I don't like questioning the effort of individual players, but I have seen respected people around the media question the effort around the Cowboys. So I will say that. Uh, I think the problem with their defense is they can't cover, and they can't stop the run. <laughs> so. You know, that's what that's what you're dealing with there. And I mean, their run fits are abysmal. Their their angles are abysmal. You saw it on the Odell Beckham end around touchdown. Oh, man. How do you let a guy who has to run the hump a little bit extra too to, to scamper free like that into the boundary you, into the boundary? Right. Exactly. You should have plenty of bodies there flowing that way to be able to make a play on that. And they just and they just didn't playing cover none defense in 2020 who would have guessed <laughs> you know while we're talking about the browns because the browns running attack by the way over 200 yards per game on the ground 5.9 yards per carry i apologized already to kevin stefanski a guy that i want to talk about who i think is just playing a crazy like the 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 top tier right guard situation in the nfl took a hit when eagles brandon brooks went down with an achilles injury this offseason but I think a new contender to the Zach Martin throne has emerged, and it's a pretty unlikely guy. Uh, I'm talking about Cleveland Browns right guard Wyatt Teller. And if you didn't know who he is, who he is, like I, I don't blame you. But watch him against Dallas Cowboys this week, Washington football team in week three. He is winning in a variety of ways. He's pulling out into space and wiping dudes out. He's snatch trapping with ease and planting guys on their faces. He's re-leveraging his hand and torquing into pancakes. His nickname is IHOP. Like, see, he's, he's doing it on the move. He's doing it in the phone booth. He's doing it in the passing game and in the running game. Like, he's playing like one of the best guards in the league this year. And he was acquired by the Browns for a mere late round pick swap with the Buffalo Bills, which is a rare miss for their general manager, Brandon Bean. This guy started his career out as a defensive end with Virginia Tech. He made the transition to offensive line. He was playing left guard, hadn't played right guard until midseason last year, and he is just blossoming, breaking out before our eyes. And, and Kyle, I don't know about you, but I've come to notice guys that and this is you know not on film. I notice them on the broadcast, but I'm wondering what you focus on when you're live watching the uh, the broadcast. So, for instance, and I picked this tip up from Pat Kerwin's book, Keep Your Eye Off the Ball, a long time ago. At the snap. 
I keep my eyes on guard to guard for about the first second and a half. And you get a lot of info about the the play by keying that area for the you know initial portion of the play. And it kind of helps you when you bring your eyes where they need to go. Because let's say it's a, it's a stretch right. You're probably going to know that from the action of the lineman. And once you get your eyes to the running back, you know more about what he's working with in front of him. Like you don't need to see the quarterback take his steps and hand it off. That's that's nothing new. There's nothing going on there. There's no information there. The important action is happening in the trenches. Is that kind of how you watch? Or because I know you're a defensive guy too, but uh, are, are you watching something else? How do you process like live football to really gauge what's happening? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's it's football is just, there's so much more going on in the game than just watching the quarterback hand the ball off to the running back or yeah. watching him take his three-step drop hoping that you can see the receivers or cornerbacks he's throw to because I have news for you. You're not going to be able to see. So yeah. I'm watching the B gap bubble pretty much. Um, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm trying to see what's going on. Like are the linebackers taking their proper steps? Are they caught up in a play action? Uh, is a guard firing off to show, you know, the run, is it an RPO? Like that sort of thing. Did the guard who is pulling get caught up in the wash? Like that sort of thing happens when you watch that sort of B gap bubble, which is essentially the same thing where you are. Um, guard yeah. to guard in that area so you yeah you can just see so many different parts of the game when you watch that little area because there you have the linebackers you have the center you have the guard and then as the ball is snapped there's more than likely going to be somebody motioning in or coming behind the line of scrimmage from the offense in that sort of play yeah I also like to watch for maybe you know get into other stuff but like before the snap is there something that you're keying on because I'm looking at formation obviously and things like that I'm also trying to read what the quarterback's trying to read which is where are the safeties are they rotating the safeties how are they reacting to this motion like those type of things right that's a good point too because I do I watch the safeties I watch you can you can actually get a good idea of watching what the nickel cornerback does like the yes. the quote unquote hang defender because he is going to give you an idea of what the defense is trying to do and it's easier if you if you can rewind and I mean if you're you're yeah. probably a, a total junkie nerd if you're rewinding during the games but that will kind of give you an idea of what the quarterback sees pre-snap. And if he doesn't pick that up before the snap, that'll also give you an idea of the difference between like a younger quarterback as opposed to a veteran who who can kind of see these things coming and read what the defense is trying to do. I like watching when they make like a quarterback change too, if it's Nick Foles to Mitch Trubisky. And I had talked about this with the Winnie City uh, gridiron guy, uh, uh, Robert Robert Schmidt, uh, on, a, on an interview. But like Trubisky's in there. He's not making any line protection calls. He's not changing the play. Foles comes in there and he says like, you're hearing like Larry Larry and you're hearing all these different words that Chicago Bears fans hadn't heard in years and it's like you said younger quarterback versus experienced quarterback who knows what he's looking at and that's kind of what I, I want to see that from younger quarterbacks too I want to see them by their second their third year start to call that stuff up and really have command of the offense like for instance People got caught up with Josh Rosen being so smart in college. We didn't know that he wasn't calling any of that stuff. And it's and it's obviously hard for draft analysts to kind of like peek behind the curtain like that. But like if we had known that, it would have been a much different story. Um, I'm in Arizona and I am fortunate enough to talk to some of the Cardinals folks and what they say about Josh Rosen <laughs> compared to what Twitter thinks about Josh Rosen yes. is completely different so yeah that's yep. a good point and and going back to the bears i imagine um the offensive line or like whoever is you can hear the bears say uh 54 is the mic 54 is the mic 
and their minds like blown like wait what 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 is going on here so yeah like just come just two completely different quarterbacks in that in that sense I love that. So a good conversation there about like how we actually watch the game live because we don't always get time to do the film. Week one, they didn't even have the film out. But here's here's one for you. Random stat for you, Kyle, as far as like what I got to look forward to in my week. We talked a lot about the Steelers defensive line on this show, uh, even in our first episode before the season, saying that they were going to wreck the New York Giants offensive game plan. And they, in fact, did through four weeks. The Steelers defensive line is first in pressures second in sacks, tied third in quarterback knockdowns. By the way, these are volume stats. This is not percentage-wise. These are volume stats. Kyle, they have only played three games. Just about everybody else has played four. Hands down, the best defensive line in the NFL, yes or yes? Uh, yes. The answer is the answer you were looking for is yes, and the only acceptable answer was yes. So even when you take it to like percentages – they are just blowing teams out of the water. So the 49ers are second in pressure percentage at 30%. They are mm. nowhere near the Steelers. What would you <laughs> guess the Steelers' pressure percentage is, pressure rate percentage? I got to imagine with the teams that they've played that they've got to be somewhere around maybe 42%. The Steelers are getting pressure 46% of the time Jeez. this season, which is That's wild. It's not your place. Not fair is the best way to put it. Like that should not be fair for a quarterback to have to essentially be pressured on every other drop back is, is what that's close to. Uh, yeah, they, they're just getting so they after raised, it. They raised the 49ers pressure rate by 50%. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that sucks, man. <laughs> like there's nothing that you could do about that. By the way, Carson, here's another random stat for you. Carson Wentz has a 28.0 quarterback rating when pressured this year. So, <laughs> so a lot of people that are dunking about Carson Wentz having an okay game, and I thought he had an okay game against the Niners, then we, we, we might be in for a rude awakening coming up here against the uh, the Steelers and then the Ravens after that. Kyle, anything else for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? Because now, now, uh, now I'm depressed again. Nope. Um, I would say that Wentz did do a very good job of escaping pressure. But if you are going to rely on your quarterback to escape pressure and then convert force downs, that is not how you are going to move the ball. So best of luck, fellow Eagles fans. So that's all we got for the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode five, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL show. I've been Michael Kist. He's been Kyle Posey. Make sure you uh, go to subscribe, rate, review, leave five stars, leave a written review, all that stuff. Leave one star. Tell, tell us how you hate us. But hopefully you learned something today from us at the very least. We appreciate you stopping by. Go dominate and have yourselves a day. <laughs>